House Faith Podcast, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, White House Faith. As we navigate the new reality of the coronavirus, I and most of my colleagues at Fox are operating remotely out of our homes, but we're still striving to bring you all the news. Um, and for me, it's particularly important to talk about how the ban on gathering and the drop in revenue are affecting houses of worship. Um, in the ban on gathering, some have raised the issue of whether it's a violation of the freedom of religion. And the other um, is, you know, can the government uh, help the churches and charitable organizations stay financially solvent? Um, two things that Dr. Russell Moore is working on and through. He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. He joins me now. Welcome, Dr. Moore. Uh, great to be with you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Well, how are you and how is your family doing? Because that's a question um, um, that we all need to kind of um, be secure with. How are you doing? Uh, uh, we're, we're doing okay. Uh, we're, we're here in our home with our, our five children, and uh, we're just uh, navigating new rhythms of life, just like uh, everybody else in the world is right now. No, I think people just stuck on five children. Wow. What are they? <laughs> And five sons, particularly. So it's a lot of energy in here. Wow. How old are they? Uh, They range from 18 to eight. Wow. Wonderful. Beautiful. So, um, you know, I'm sure you're probably getting a lot of questions from um, churches, from pastors, from parishioners. What what kind of questions and concerns are you getting from, from them? Uh, there are a lot of uh, concerns. I mean, uh, some of them are just the the normal concerns that everybody has about uh, what's what's happening. Where is this uh, going to go? Um, along with uh, along with specific concerns for churches. I mean, we've never been through anything like this uh, in modern American history. I mean, even through the Great Depression and World War II. And um, and uh, the Great Recession, churches could still meet, uh, and so now you have churches that are trying to navigate how to technologically uh, stay in connection with one another, to, to live stream uh, live stream services, and even uh, be involved in say youth group uh, times via Zoom. Uh, all of those sorts of questions. That's a real concern. Uh, along with um, uh, sort of deeper questions, I, I've been asked just in recent days: is is this a is this a sign that the that, that the world is coming to an end? So there's some yeah. people asking questions like that as well. So what is? I mean, this is a, something I've raised with other pastors and and and, and people who are um, heads of churches and, and uh, church organizations about the idea that. You know, this is so uncharted waters. I mean, when we've had a threat, wars, weather, earthquakes, the church is still gathered in person. And that gathering together became part of the strength in getting through it. Um, So what kind of spiritual strength, what kind of spiritual, um, um, you know, words of wisdom are you giving people? Well, I have a friend, Christine Hoover, who's a, a author of, of uh, all sorts of uh, books for for women, who has uh, who has been talking in recent days about where are the gifts in this. I mean, we, we can all see where the trials are, uh, but where are the where are the gifts? Where are the signs of God's grace? And I think one of those is the fact that we're we're at a unique uh, period in, in time where we actually are able to be connected to one another. So imagine 
if um, if this had happened at a time where there there was no uh, internet uh, yeah. connectivity, uh, or or even the place where uh, if this had happened even five years ago, uh, larger churches would have been able to, to to carry this out to some degree, but many of the smaller churches wouldn't have, and so uh, now. I can I can just go through and see uh, everything from mega churches right down to I watched a broadcast uh, of a church that's about uh, about thirty people uh, mm. that was live streaming its services and so we're we're at a unique period of time where we're actually able to be in in uh, connectedness with one another. And as you say, countless churches now are adhering to the ban on gathering, so um, they're doing sermons and services online, prayer groups, hymns, singing, all that stuff. Um, is there anything constitutionally wrong, in your opinion, with the government, including churches, in this gathering ban? I don't think there's any uh, violation of religious liberty here. If, if you think about the standard that we've used um, over the, the years, a standard that's uh, that's in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, for instance, uh, the standard is that the government has to have a compelling interest. Uh, and I think we've seen that in this case. And the government has to use the least restrictive means to get to that interest. And I think we're seeing that, too. So uh, governments, at least at this point, aren't singling out churches in ways that, they, uh, uh, that they're that they not uh, other people. Uh, and I also a- am really surprised to see and, and heartened to see the sort of cooperation going on right now between churches and uh, and civic authorities. Uh, there, there really isn't a, a great deal of, of churches grumbling about what's what's taking place, mostly because churches are on the front lines of dealing with these issues. And at the same time, uh, I see especially local governments really reliant upon churches right now uh, in a way that that maybe we haven't seen in our lifetimes. Uh, just just this past week, um, I was working to connect a large city mayor's office with churches in their community to deal with homeless people who were infected with COVID-19. So those sorts of partnerships I think are happening right now all around the country. And I think we should, uh, we should be grateful for that. But there are, there are um, churches openly defying the ban. Um, uh, I'm just reading a couple of stories, not many, but there are those. Are they within their constitutional rights to do so? Uh, There, there are some that are defying uh, these these uh, bands and and of course uh, we have to uh, we have to delineate the difference between areas where there are actual government orders of shelter in place uh, and then places where there are recommendations. Um, I think in in both cases it would be irresponsible uh, for churches to gather uh, large groups of people together right now, but but there would be differences in terms of whether or not that's that's legal. I haven't seen a lot of that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the time where that's happening, it's happening in terms of prosperity gospel, uh, sorts of health and wealth uh, churches that are very visible, but they're not really representative of, of most people. As a matter of fact, even some of the churches that initially, when we started getting these news reports about what was happening in, in China and, and Italy and South Korea, uh, some of the churches that I heard saying we'll never not meet are, in fact, uh, voluntarily complying uh, w- with all of these uh, with all of these recommendations against gatherings. So I don't think that's that's widespread right now. 
but you're, I just want to reiterate you, but you're saying is that they probably, first of all, you want to check with the local government, the local um, municipal government, what they're actually saying, but also too, yes. um, you would recommend that they not defy this order. Is that true? I, I absolutely would recommend that they not only not defy the order, but that it, even in a place, because of course, uh, obviously there's going to come a point where uh, this necessity is going to end. And that's probably going to be different in different places uh, in, in the country uh, in terms of timing. And so I would recommend that any church be in close contact with your local uh, public health and, and civic authorities to find out when it's, when it's safe. Uh, because the issue here is not just about uh, my personal health or, or your personal health. It's about loving neighbor and about uh, flattening the curve so that we don't infect other people, especially vulnerable populations. And so this, this really is a question of neighbor love as much as it is a question of, of compliance with, uh, with uh, the governing authorities. And this would be an apt, this would be an accurate, um, an apt application of Romans 13 about what the role of government is, right? Uh, it would. Uh, the government has a legitimate public interest in, uh, in making sure that the population is safe. And so in that case, uh, we, should be, uh, we should be willing to submit to that. And then even if, uh, even if though, the government were not uh, speaking to us on these issues, we would have a responsibility to say, what can we do to make sure that, that we're doing our part to see that this disease does not spread? Uh, and so we, my denomination uh, my fellow uh, leaders and I had to make a decision uh, just yesterday about uh, canceling our national gathering of uh, thousands and thousands of people gather every year. We've, we've gathered through every crisis possible from the Civil War uh, on and haven't canceled a meeting since the depths of World War II. Uh, but we had to make that decision yesterday. Uh, there, there was no government order to do that. We don't, uh, we don't know exactly what the situation is going to be in June when we were scheduled to meet. But we said we can't risk, uh, we can't risk the public health catastrophe uh, that could happen with this. And I think every church, almost every church that I've talked to, is having that thought process. So yeah. it's not just we're going to comply. It's that we, we actually want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep our community safe. The other part of that, though, you know, it talks about the Bible says, you know, do not forsake the coming together you know, of yourselves for worship. Um, and this is, of course, written long before social media and conference calling and all the things that we can do today, but certainly written at a time when they had communicable diseases. So does, yeah. is, like I say again, is a church within... It's right to even defy banning um, the the uh, defying the ban because of that. Uh, well, you you have you've always had communicable diseases, but the church has not met uh, when there has been um, a a particular uh, vulnerability to spreading that communicable disease in a time of of plague or or intensification. Uh, certainly, in the in the situation that we have right now. And so I think that um, I think that churches are right uh, not to gather uh, right now, but also we're right to feel the sense of loss uh, that we have. I mean, one of the things that I've uh, that I'm hearing constantly 
just in doing, I'm part of a small group, uh, community group uh, within my uh, local congregation. And we normally uh, gather together on a certain night during the week. Uh, and we did that by, by uh, Skype uh, this past, or by Zoom uh, this past week. And one of the things that everybody said is, it's good that we're able to pray for one another. It's good that we're able to communicate. This isn't the same thing. There was a sense of loss about that. And I think that what God can do with that is to create, uh, during this time when we can't be together, a sense of hungering and thirsting for when we can, uh, that I think God may use in extraordinary ways. We, we may actually be reminded during this time of why we need one another uh, in terms of public gatherings when we can. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a little break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, welcome back to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Well, let's move on to the other issue, which is about the solvency, really, of some of these churches. And um, like you were talking about, some of the larger churches and charitable organizations are probably going to be okay because they've already established online giving and a lot of ways to get their funds in. But there is, um, you know, a point where the economy is going to be such that even they won't be receiving as much money. And what are your concerns about churches and houses of worship uh, to maintain their economic um, you know, solvency? I'm very concerned, especially when we're, we're dealing with small uh, rural or inner city uh, churches that exist week to week. Um, uh, for many of them, this is an existential crisis. Um, and, and also what's having to happen is, as you said, uh, some of the, the larger, uh, more suburban uh, churches have a, a culture of online giving that other churches simply don't have. And so one of the things that pastors and leaders are having to do right now is to, is to tell people um, here's how to here's how to give online for people who just aren't accustomed to using Venmo or uh, or or even uh, there are a lot of churches uh, where people pay their bills by by check and they're accustomed to being in the church and putting that uh, that offering in the offering plate and not only that but just the prompt I mean when when we uh, when we come together and there's a time of public offering we are we're all sort of reminded oh we need to we need to give. And when churches aren't gathering, that's that's not happening. So I'm really concerned about that. Uh, and also just in terms of generally the nonprofit sector, because uh, there are some people who assume uh, everything that needs to be done can be done by the market. And there are other people who assume everything that needs to be done can be done by the government. Neither of those things are true. We need government, we need the market, but we also need civil society and, and we need the nonprofit sector. And we're going to need that uh, now more than ever, just given the public health and economic devastations that are coming together uh, in this in this crisis. So we, we have to do everything we can to make sure that the nonprofit sector is healthy. What about the, um, the letter you sent to um, the leaders of Congress? Um, about the um, the universal charitable deduction, uh, what is that about, and how is that going to help churches? Uh, we've been concerned about this for years uh, because there are some people, again, who think 
well, the government can do everything. Uh, there are other people who think, well, it doesn't really matter what government policy is. People are going to give if they want to give and not if they, if they don't. That's really not true. Uh, what we have to do is to make sure that every obstacle toward a personal generosity is taken out of the way. And, and some of the tax policies that we have are obstacles uh, toward that. When we're going to need people um, demonstrating their generosity, uh, toward uh, the nonprofit sector and, and toward one another. So we need to just remove those barriers as much as we possibly can. What about the, I've gotten notices from atheists who are very upset that you would even suggest that the government should include churches and houses of worship um, in the stimulus package to help them out. What do you say to that? Well, this isn't helping them out. Uh, this isn't government funding of uh, churches or religious organizations. I would be opposed to that. I'm a, a firm believer in the separation of church and state, and I don't think that tax uh, dollars ought to be used uh, for the mission of the church. This isn't about that at all. This is about instead not penalizing people who are personally uh, showing their generosity toward the nonprofit sector. And so it, it's it's actually about removing the state uh, from the nonprofit sector even more, not about uh, not about uh, adding them in. So th this isn't about asking taxpayers for anything. We don't want anything from taxpayers. We just want the Congress not to get in the way of people who are trying to show personal generosity. How long can churches last with this kind of shutdown, this kind of ban on gathering? You know, you know, basically, you're not passing the plate um, anymore. How come? How long can they survive this? I don't know. That that's one of the things uh, that we're watching because this is completely unprecedented territory. Uh, we, we we've never been in this situation before. Uh, certainly not at the global level, but even at the local level, uh, when there's a, a hurricane or uh, or a flood and a church is not able to meet, they know there's a certain amount of time before they're, they're able to be gathered back together. In this case, we don't know. And so, um, this is, this is going to be a problem both for very small churches. Uh, it'll be a problem for everybody. It'll be an immediate problem, an existential problem for very small churches without many resources and also for very large churches that have extensive ministries uh, in their communities. Uh, both of them are going to be feeling this uh, really, really uh, quickly. So we don't know, uh, and, and, uh, and we just don't have a historical, uh, a historical a moment to look at. In the way that we could, in 2008, 2009, when the economy collapsed, we were able to look back and say, uh, how did how did churches respond during the depression? And mm -hmm. we could see sort of a historical analogy. We don't have an analogy now in the modern era because if you if you look back to the nineteen eighteen uh, flu uh, pandemic, uh, right. it, it was just an entirely different era in terms of church life than what we have right now. Yeah, I mean, it seems as though every pandemic, every um, disaster is almost built for the era we live in. I mean, this is one of those disasters that is almost um, custom made for a modern society that has been driven to the social media and all sorts of, you know, high tech wizardry to sort of, you know, 
substitute, you know, for regular giving. I mean, regular kind of um, in-person kinds of experiences. What do you say? Uh, that's exactly right. And I think that's, again, in all of the lament and in all of the loss here, uh, that is one thing that, that I'm finding gratitude uh, uh, for, is to say, uh, what would it be like uh, if we were in a situation where we didn't know uh, what was going on uh, with with anyone else? Uh, I'm able to uh, text my my mother uh, and and make sure my parents are okay uh, down in in Biloxi, Mississippi, and I'm able to hear from uh, friends who are on the mission field in Africa. Uh, that just wouldn't have been the case in any other era. You mentioned this before, and that people were questioning or asking you things about this. But this is a question that I've been coming up a, a couple of times, which is the issue of: Is this the end times? I mean, every time a disaster like this this comes at us, we, that's the question: Are we are we looking at the end times? What is your answer to that? Well, I think that we we could be, uh, but we could be at any moment. So when Jesus is teaching his disciples, uh, he says there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and natural disasters. He says, but but that does not mean that the end is come. These are just the beginnings of the birth pangs. Uh, And then he says that his coming is uh, a surprise. It's like a thief in your house in the middle of the night. Uh, And so we just don't know. And so the, the word that I would give to, to everybody is whether you're in a time of peace and prosperity or if you're in a time of pandemic and war, uh, act as though at any moment you could be standing before the Lord, because that's, that's the truth. Wow. And any, um, any words of um, spiritual strength or wisdom you'd like to leave with people before we, we end? I mean, I think... Uh, that uh, we always want to leave um, listeners with some kind of, you know, positive thought or concern that you have about how we go forward. I think we ought to, uh, I think we ought to recognize as we're recognizing our own vulnerability right now. Um, everyone's aware of this could, this could hit any of us. Uh, and, and we're, we all are thinking about loved ones that we have that maybe are especially vulnerable uh, right now. Uh, maybe we can learn some things out of this about caring for one another and, and showing kindness uh, to one another, maybe across all of our, our usual sorts of spats and disputes and, uh, and, and so forth that kind of look trivial uh, to us in a time like this. Maybe we can, we can learn how to be more, uh, more human and more Christ-like through this time. Great, Andres. Thank you very much, Dr. Russell Moore president of the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you for having me, Lauren. And thank you all for listening. I'm Lauren Green. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.